The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. For the next half hour, frank, open, honest conversation about gambling addiction. I'm Craig Carton. Joining me, as always, from Epic Risk Management is our buddy Dan Trelaro. Danny, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great, Craig. Good morning. How are you today? Doing good, doing good, and uh, happy to have on the air with us today uh, a fellow gambler in recovery, Joe from uh, New Jersey. Joe, good morning, and thanks for taking a few moments to share your story with us. Thanks, guys, for having me on. When uh, when was your last bet? Um, my last bet was October 28th of 2020. Great. So uh, you're uh, almost two years in, and I imagine life uh, right now is a lot better than it was two years ago. Absolutely. Well, let's let's get into your story a little bit. When do you remember uh, making your first bet or gambling of some sort being a part of your life? Knowing your guy's story a little bit, I think my story mirrors your guys in terms of loving sports from an early age. Um, when I was about eight years old, my dad was a high school administrator, and he came home with a kind of a crazy college football ticket. Um, it was a pool where you had to pick the winners, and he didn't really understand it, and he handed it to his, his eight-year-old son, me. And, oh, was I hooked. I just loved having to pick the winners of games by a certain score. If you remember the Harris Index and the Dunkel forecast in the papers, and I would average the scores and add a certain amount of points for the home team. And then I, it was probably a dollar a week for the pool, and maybe first prize was $5. And if we won, my dad would let me keep half the money, and I could buy Mad Magazine. Mm. And, oh, was it great. And I remember watching the Prudential College scoreboard with Jim Lampley. This is like 1974 and 75. And I was just in love with the competition of it because I was an athlete for most of my young life. And uh, it was the first taste I had of gambling, and it would uh, – be foreshadowing many, many long years of gambling in the future. Yeah. So what's uh, interesting about it is that you yourself really weren't gambling, but you very quickly kind of fell to the bug of handicapping, trying to figure out, you know, an edge or which team could win and understanding, you know, point spreads at a very early age. So that's that part's interesting to me. Yeah, no, I, I love math. I'm a math guy. And um, anything I could get my hands on, I would – you know, add two points to the home team. If it was an Ivy League team, hmm. if it was a Pac-10 team, I would add three points. And I was eight or nine years old, but I just figured this stuff out because I wanted to win that $5 more than sure. anything. And you know what's interesting about it? You know, people listening now may not understand what I'm about to say. When you started doing it, your only access to scores would have been tomorrow's newspaper or if you were lucky enough to stay up and see the 11 o'clock news and get, you know, the two-minute sports from Marv Albert or Sal Marciano or, you know, Jerry Gerard on Channel 11, you know, you didn't have access to stats and scores the way kids do today. Absolutely, Craig. You're, I think, a couple of years younger than me. But if it was a West Coast game, if it was San Jose State, Nevada, I would be lucky if that was in Monday's paper. Right. Sometimes we didn't get the scores till Tuesday. Right. Right. Oh and, Dan, this is a, a typical yeah. refrain that you and I have heard and shared with, with our own stories in that it was something that was, you know, with a parent or a loved one, and it was fun, and, you know, that that's a similar story that many people have. 
Yeah, it, it starts off, and, you know, Joe's with his dad, and, and that's a bonding thing, and it starts off as a harmless activity, and it's fun, and it's exciting, and it, it's new, right? It, new things are exciting, and so we kind of dive into them. And for some people, they get bored over, with it over time, and they move on to the next thing. But there's something about gambling, and there's certain personality types. You just stay with it. And, and Joe, you just reminded me that when my father and I used to go to the Meadowlands Racetrack, we used to call in the, the Meadowlands Race Result line. Because I couldn't wait to the next day. So at like 11 o'clock at night, I'm calling a phone number to get the race results for all the races to see if, if our horses had won. Yeah. Yeah. But listen, WFAN way back in the late 80s used to have a Friday night report from Yonkers Raceway, you know, to report oh, wow. on the, uh, you know, on, uh, you know, the, the horse racing there. So, J- Joe, when, um, when did you start actually gambling your money? Uh, when uh, did you become an active gambler outside of you know, the dollar pool with your dad? You know, I was a, a pretty active kid growing up through junior high and high school. Played a lot of sports, was a good student, had a lot of friends. Played the occasional poker game, but I wasn't really into it. I liked money. I didn't want to lose hard. You know, I, I caddied a little bit. I did a lot of umpiring. And I wasn't really into losing my hard-earned money, so it didn't really take off. Um, I remember one time after my senior year of high school, we went to a New Jersey Generals game, and we were bored out of our mind. And they said over the loudspeaker, you can get free admission to the racetrack if you bring your general stub. And we probably waited to the beginning of the third quarter, and we went over to the track, and I had never been to the racetrack. And it was kind of a cathartic moment like I had when I was eight years old. My friend knew a little bit more about the racetrack than me. I had never been. And it was kind of like the same experience I had. I was like, wow, I could do this. This is really, really fun. And uh, it didn't happen then because it was probably June or July of my summer after my senior year of high school. But I had kind of a traumatic moment in September of uh, my freshman year of college. I also suffer from mental illness. I'll be very honest about Mm -hmm. my situation. It's obsessive compulsive disorder, mostly on the thought level. And going away to college was something I think I was very scared of. And I only lasted a semester, uh, partially because of the OCD, partially probably because of some separation anxiety. But coming home after that first semester and seeing all my friends thriving away from school, some were playing college sports, and I was a failure, and I just, it really just, for a person that had never failed, had been a pretty good athlete and a very good student, it was so deflating to my ego, and it, it was there was a lot of tears shed, and my ego went from being on top of the world to being at the, at the rock bottom, and I think that's when my gambling started those next few years when I was going to college at home. And gambling was my escape. I started going to the racetrack. I started betting a lot of sports. Um, a little bit at a time, I was working a job, making $3 an hour. But gambling became an escape from my embarrassment. Um, that, that was my traumatic moment, failing at something, because I never failed before. And failing at going away to college was a real traumatic moment for me. So uh, you were depressed, I guess? Is that a fair way to describe it? That you're at 18, 19, 20 years old? Yes, I was depressed. I was embarrassed. I I was dealing with the OCD, which if you go back to 1984, they really didn't have a good diagnosis for. They told me I had anxiety, but it was really 
thoughts running through my head that I didn't understand. And, you know, I still obviously suffer with it, but in 2022, it's much better diagnosed sure. with the medication I take, but it was a very difficult time for me in my early twenties. And, and not only that, it was misunderstood and there was probably a yeah. stigma attached to it. And your parents probably had no idea how to handle or help you, uh, um, you know, the right. way parents might today. So when you gambled then, you, you talk about it being an escape. You know, I, I always described it as I felt like I was in this, you know, protective cocoon and nothing else in my life mattered because I could just focus on, you know, the cards on the table in front of me. Uh, and I enjoyed that feeling. Well, maybe I shouldn't say I enjoyed it. It made me feel comfortable. It, it, it got rid of any issues in my life that I was, uh, you know, running from or avoiding or the demons I might have had. I just felt comfortable and good inside that cocoon. Uh, so you use gambling, I assume, for the same reason, to avoid these feelings that you weren't sure how to process. Absolutely. The combination of the OCD and the embarrassment of being a failure for not succeeding away from home at, you know, 20 and 21. Right. And I also started ramping up my drinking. I was always a, a moderate drinker as high school kids go. But the drinking kind of masked the thoughts of the OCD and also was an escape. So now I'm a three-headed monster. I'm a, I have mental illness, I'm a drinker, and I'm a gambler, which would obviously later on in life come to a head. And yet you're also gainfully employed and smart and you're uh, working, right? Yeah, I, I graduated with a, a great job out of college. I worked for Arthur Anderson for a couple of years. I didn't like accounting, so I ended up going to Wall Street. Uh, in my 20s, I, you know, was making good money. I was, the, you know, working for a company of 300 down on Water Street. I was the company tout. I ran every pool, whether it was the Super Bowl pool, the Masters pool, the 13-run pool in baseball, the NCAA bracket pool. We made markets on teams. You know, we had so much gambling going on, so much drinking going on. This was the late 80s, early 90s of Wall Street. There was, it was a time of excess. And I was able to get away with it with my wife because, uh, you know, we got married in 93 and we had two young kids in the mid 90s because it was the nature of Wall Street that you entertain and you drank. Sometimes I would tell her that I was entertaining and I'd be at the racetrack drinking. I mean, I, I lied. You guys know we're the biggest manipulators on the planet. Yeah, you become a world class yeah. liar. And then you start lying about even things that have nothing to do with gambling. And uh, then absolutely. you start going down you know, a bad road. So, uh that bad road includes uh, financial uh, issues and, you know, borrowing money. Some people steal money, you know, trying to cover debts that you can't cover with your normal income or with money that your family knows that you have. How, how quickly did you go down that road? You know, I was making good money, Craig. So from for the 90s, it was a I was just losing what what should have been in my kids' college funds or in our 401k, Got it. but it was manageable. I was working a lot of hours and this was before the internet was really taken off. There was what ended up being my demise initially was the NJ bets, the New Jersey horse racing internet account kind of fast forwarded my demise. I left wall street in 2000. I started working locally in the mortgage business, which was really a, a, a difficult thing for me because it gave me way too much Joe time. Too much free time. I'm right, not right. good with Joe time. And yeah. I, I started betting uh, and drinking a lot more because I had a lot more free time. Let me stop you and, there just for a second. I don't start, and I apologize for that. You know, one of the, you know, you're married, you have kids, uh, you're earning a living, you're not, you know, overspending on gambling yet. I'm sure you get to that point. At, at any stage during those days, 
Did your wife come to you or other family members or friends saying, hey, Joe, what's going on? You're not yourself? Uh, maybe with the drinking, Craig, but I, of course, like most gamblers, was in charge of the finances. I was making the money, so it was my decision what we did with the money, like every manipulator. Um, it came to a head when I stopped making the good money, and the drinking got out of hand, and my wife uh, realized with all the liquidating of the current assets, I wasn't touching the retirement yet, but obviously I would, Um my wife realized there was a problem. She just saw my, my nervousness every time the mailman came, every time the phone rang with the credit cards. And this is um, in the mid-2000s. Uh, I finally was confronted by my wife in January, well, December, Christmas time of 2008. And she said, honey, you have a problem. Um, and I don't know what to say, but I know we have to get you some help. And she looked up on the computer and she saw Gamblers Anonymous. And I made my first meeting January 4th of 2009. Let me stop you right there. We'll take a quick break. We'll continue on. Dan Trelawis here, of course, with Epic Risk Management. And uh, this is Joe from New Jersey. You're listening to Hello, My Name is Craig. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton. And supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Uh, Dan Trelaro, Epic Risk Management. And uh, Joe from Jersey, who's uh, sharing his... Very poignant story about how gambling negatively impacted his life. Joe, before I have you continue, Dan, you know, there's so many similarities in my story, your story, Joe's story. And, you know, everyone that joins us, you know, the numbers are different. You know, the locations might be different, but the commonality is always there. And I'm trying to figure out, are there signs that we show people that maybe, you know, we need to do a better job of marketing so that loved ones and family members would recognize, hey, here's five or six signs of a compulsive gambler. Yeah, you know, I, I was thinking about that as Joe was sharing because I, I hear that early exposure, right? So were you exposed to gambling early on as a young person? Was it normalized in the family, and did you always find it to be a fun time? Because when you, when you kind of tuck that away as a young person early on, you put that in your pocket, you're going to carry that with you throughout life. And when life throws a curveball, you might go back to those things that you saw as harmless activities. And then you look at certain personality traits. You know, Joe's a hard worker. He's competitive. Certain industries that are attracted, that gamblers, that people with gambling problems find themselves attracted to, one of which is financial services industry. So we start seeing some of these similarities. Joe's comfortable taking risk, just like I was, just like you were. But there's appropriate risks and there's inappropriate risks. Right. And when you're dealing with a gambling addiction, we start taking those inappropriate risks. So those are almost three or four things right off the bat that we start to see as, as similarities and maybe kind of marketing to people. If you fall into these different slots, be careful with your gambling. You're at an elevated risk of developing a problem. So, Joe, you, know, you said you made that first GA call, I guess, 2008, 2009. But obviously your date of your last bet is after that. So I'm assuming, I know you bet after you made that first GA call, but what was your eventual, you know, come to Jesus moment, your bottom of the barrel moment where you uh, took it seriously or at least, you know, decided, hey, I do have to make a change. I can't gamble anymore. What happened? Um, I'll, I'll just to back up a little bit. I was abstinent, but not in recovery for many years, for about eight or nine years. Um, My wife was... 99% educated on Gamblers Anonymous, but I feel that 
I didn't let her totally in, which would give me an out when I wanted to gamble. My mother died uh, after my dad, and I inherited some money at the end of 2019, and that was my ticket to start gambling again. My wife was asking about the money, but she thought at this point I had been in the program for many years. She could trust me, and obviously the day she can trust me is the day I'm ready to gamble. So I basically went back to gambling initially, small bet, just like the book says, small bet experimentation with fantasy sports. Uh, and then COVID came in 2020 and there was no more fantasy sports. So I started betting, of course, Korean baseball and mm. Russian ping pong. And just like all crazy people, uh, anything that moves, I would bet on. Uh, I finally was out in my car in September of 2020 waiting for a Tuesday night GA meeting to start on the phone because we were not meeting personally then. And my wife came out to bring me a bottle of water and she saw on my phone a internet slot machine. And you guys, if you, if I could capture the look my wife gave me, um, I, it was the most hurt, sad, mad. I, I just looked at her and I said, yeah, yeah, I'm gambling honey. And I, uh, I, that, that was September 12th. And I, it took me six weeks of BS and telling people in the program, you know, I'm done. But October 28th was my come to Jesus moment when I said to my wife, I have to get you involved in the program. I have people who are trusted friends in the program who will teach you about me. Uh, you know, you're in charge of my finances. I cannot carry a penny. You got to get involved in Gammonon. You have to talk to people in the program a couple of days a week. If you don't, if you have a question, don't call me, call a friend or ask me and then verify with a friend. Um, it was just a hundred percent approach because the 99.9 approach doesn't work. I just know that if, if my wife is not a roadblock, among other things, I will never be successful in this program because this illness tells me I don't have an illness. And I, it's been since October 28th of 2020, one day at a time. My drinking was October 27th of 2020, one day at a time. My mental illness, I just have to deal with it when it comes. But sure. It's, it, it's, really, uh, it's really great to be on here because I listen to you and Dan's stories, and I see a lot of similarities with what you guys have dealt with and me. And I, that's why I listen every yeah, week because it gives me, you know, gives one, me support. One of the reasons we do this show, and I'm really, I appreciate you saying that, is, you know, I have said, Dan's heard me say it a million times, even, you know, at meetings that he and I speak at or conferences that Dan and I speak at, is that, you know, I'm trying to humanize the addict um, because, you know, we're people and, you know, we're viewed as degenerates, which I hate. You know, that, that adjective kills me when I think about it because I don't think of myself as a degenerate. And one of the reasons we do this show is for what you just said, that there's an ego involved with compulsive gambling where we think we're special. And hearing more people tell the story, and yeah, I recognize if you listen to the show on a regular basis... It's ultimately the same story over and over and over and over and over again. And that's my goal is that people like you hear this and say, wait a minute, I can relate to everything I just heard that guy say. You know, I get it now. Like, you know, the light bulb goes off that there's nothing unique or special about you or me or Dan and that you can relate to the stories you hear on this show so that you can then recognize, hey, I'm that guy or gal I need to get help. So I really do appreciate you saying that. And Dan, ultimately, as you and I have talked about a million times, that's the goal of this show. 
Yeah, the goal is to reduce stigma. The goal is to, and especially during Problem Gambling Awareness Month, Craig, you know, we're in this month of March, which is nationally recognized, and we need to not just stop having the conversation during March. We need to have it all year round, and we need to reduce stigma. We need to make it comfortable to talk about. We need to understand that gambling addiction uh, is just like substance use disorder. There's a lot of similarities. Sure, there are differences, but we also know it goes along with alcohol misuse, with mental health issues, with depression and anxiety and bipolar disorder and mood disorders. There's a lot of connection. And as gambling expands around the country, it's important that we continue to bring this to the forefront because it's not just gambling with money. It's gambling with lives. And that's the human aspect that we need to consider. Joe, how's life today compared to uh, how it was uh, when you were gambling? Oh, I have such a wonderful relationship with my family. Me and my wife will be married 30 years next year. But, you know, I, I don't know how you are. Your kids are a little younger, Craig, but my children are uh, going to be 26 and 24 in the next couple months. And for the first uh, eight or 10 years I was in GA, uh, I was just going to meet friends for coffee. And I kind of looked at my wife last year and I said, you know what, I, I'm hiding from the world. And this is kind of the other extreme, what I'm doing by c- coming on here mm-hmm. and, and, and working with the Council of Compulsive Gambling, which I'll share in a moment. But uh, I, I sat my kids down and told them who Joe K was. And I told them my, my story and very similar to what I've shared for the last 20 minutes. And it was, uh, v- you know, very, very uh, emotional. We, we cried a little bit. We laughed a little bit. But I, it's so cathartic to just get it off your chest. And now my kids, I don't have to hide from them. And if the phone rings and it's a GA member, I take the phone call in front of them. And it's it's very freeing. Um, they're very proud of me. I told them, hey, I'm going on uh, Craig and Dan's show this week. And they were like, that's great. We'll be listening. And uh, honesty uh, sets me free. We're only as thick as our secrets. Yeah, I agree. I mean, just being honest alone takes care of a huge bulk of the issues that we create for ourselves. Tell me what you're doing now with the accounts on Compulsive Gamma, because I think it's great. Yeah, I'm just a prevention specialist. It's a pretty simple structure. I, I, I try to get out to as many people as I can. I've only been with the council for a couple months, so I'm really just starting to make a decent amount of appointments. I got three high schools on the agenda in the next few weeks, so I'll go out to the high schools. And I'm mostly seeing seniors because a lot of them are the yep. ones that are, if they're not legal, they're close to legal or their parents are signing them up. But I'll, I'll see uh, the entire senior class, mostly through the help class, and I'll really tell them, you know, hey, you're seeing the advertising, what's going on in New Jersey and New York in gambling in 2022. I'll talk about warning signs of problem gambling, and certainly we'll talk uh, for at least 10 or 15 minutes about my own problem gambling and uh, how I'm trying one day at a time to arrest that. And uh, there's, there's no cures for any of these uh illnesses, alcoholism, or, or compulsive gambling, but there certainly are methods out there with either therapy, uh, GA, and, and other support groups. There are ways to arrest it and, and to have a good life without gambling, which is the one of two things I can't do. If I don't drink and gamble, I can have a pretty productive life. Well, I really appreciate you sharing your story. I'm proud of you, and congratulations on uh, your recovery. And I uh, hope we can celebrate uh, another day and another day and another year and on and on and on with you over the course of uh, the rest of your life and mine as well. So thank you for coming on today. Thank you for sharing your story. Your family should be very proud of you, and I hope you're proud of yourself. You guys are doing a great job on this show. Keep it up. It's a, it's a great piece to have on every week. Thanks, Joe. Be well. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thanks, Thanks Joe. Thanks, Dan. 
Dan, before I let you go, uh, hearing a guy like Joe just means everything to me because it, it shows you again that once you dedicate your mind and your life to uh, trying to overcome the problem, you can. Life can be rewarding and amazing and worth living. And uh, you can rebuild relationships. And again, I, I know I'm repetitive on this. You know, that's a regular guy right there. Regular guy that's uh, working his ass off, you know, to support his family. Is blessed that he has amazing, loving family in his life. But there's nothing that, that reeks of being a degenerate there. It's a guy that's got a disease and he's trying to overcome it. Yeah, you know, I've had the privilege to get to know Joe over the last few months. Um, just kind of doing some continued consulting with the, the council. And, and, he, and he's just a wonderful person. And it reminds me of the language that we use, right? It's so important. And that's why we say, I'm a person with a gambling problem. Because just like me, just like you, just like Joe, and just like thousands and tens of thousands of other people around the country who might be listening and struggling, we're, we're people first. And we have to be treated as people. And sure, yeah, you know, we've, we've made mistakes. We've made bad decisions, just like everyone does. No one's perfect. But we're still people first, even in our recovery, and to always be reminded of that is critical. And I think that's what we're doing here is we're reducing stigma. We're highlighting the important issues of how gambling can get really bad. Uh, and that's not for everyone. It's for a small percentage of the population. But, again, these are people's lives we're talking about. Joe has a family. Joe has kids. And just very thankful to hear his story today. Yeah, and that's the other thing. While it is a small percentage of the overall society – you know, it negatively impacts everyone in the gambler's life. So you are you are talking about, you know, far more people than just the gambler themselves. And we can get more into that, obviously, as we move through uh, March. Uh, always appreciate your time. That's Dan Trelaro, Epic Risk Management. And, of course, we always thank the Council on Compulsive Gambling in New Jersey, 1-800-GAMBLER, for uh, supporting this show since its inception well over a year ago. Joe, a uh, Joe. Dan, have a good weekend. Always a pleasure. And we'll talk to you next weekend. Thanks so much. Thanks, Greg. All right. Next on the fan is Evan Roberts. He'll take it till 12 o'clock. And then Evan and I are back on Monday at 2. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. And again, thank you so much for listening to Hello, My Name is Craig.